Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes and I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar. I'm currently in transition. There you go. And Mm -hmm. as of July 1st, I will be the pastor of Trinity Mm -hmm. United Methodist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, so... So y'all come up and visit. (laughs) There you go. That's right, especially if you're in that area, you'll have a resource to draw upon with Steve close by, yeah, as of July 1st, uh, which is probably about the time this may be coming out, or maybe a little after, so... Um, so yeah, this is sort of a sad podcast, I guess. This is the last time we'll be co-host for this. Now, the podcast will continue. Um, it'll be without Steve's wisdom <laughs> and knowledge. <laughs> so I'll have to fumble through uh, the Wesley part of this. Um, however. Uh, you can call on me anytime, Scott. I, I will have to do that, <laughs> right? As I did this week, right? I emailed <laughs> yes, you. Yes, you did. Hey, is this actually Wesleyan? It's quoted. It says John Wesley. And you said, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of red flags in this one. It's another apocryphal Wesley. Yeah. So note to our audience, just because it says it's attributed to John Wesley. Does not mean it actually <laughs> is from John Wesley. If if it says John Wesley and does not include the source. Which it did not. Be yeah. very suspicious. That's right. Yes. As, as I was. And you learned me. <laughs> <laughs> So what we're going to do in this podcast is give you a chance to say something you've been, we've talked about the general rule of discipleship before. That's not, that's not new, but I think we're going to flesh it out a little more um, and, and show why the a general rule of discipleship can be so helpful for congregations and especially for structuring their small groups for the small group ministry so that it can be um, you know, one of my fears for me anyway, when I hear people talk about their small groups is really they're just doing Sunday school in homes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've just transitioned what the, the methodology to a different location. Um, and so I think the general rule of discipleship can be helpful for w- achieving what small groups should be about, and that is growing disciples, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that's the aim, the telos, the, what we're hoping happens. So just having a small group. Did you just say telos? Telos, yeah. Did I say it wrong? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm glad you threw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good word. Good, it is a good word. word. Right? The, the end point, yeah. Uh, I did go to seminary. I like to throw that out every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that comes out. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about the general rule of discipleship. Let's start with, because um, I know as I've done a little bit of training on this, people ask me, well, what the heck is a, is a rule of life? Is that like, you know, St. Benedict's rule that we're going to go? So explain what a, a general rule is, a rule of life is. Well, I... I'll start by saying that this, the general rule of discipleship, rules of life, is, that's that's why we interviewed Jamie Smith. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and that's why I believe his book that we, we talked about with mm-hmm. him, and I hope you all have listened to that interview. And I hope you've read the book, too. Um, yeah. And he's talking about the way you form people, the way you form them as disciples mm-hmm. is by teaching habits yeah. and helping people to form habits. That, and it's the habits that, that create desire mm. that, and, 
and form our character. Meaningful change. And, and real, it brings about meaningful change. And the way you do that, you know, he talks about cultural liturgies. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, that, and he's right. I, I think he's right that we are liturgical animals. Mm-hmm. And what liturgy does is it habituates us. It forms habits. Mm. Um, and the habits lead to behavior. Mm-hmm. And and habits also influence the decisions that we make and the way we live our lives. Um, so not just simply changing information, right? It's not. It's not about you know teaching and and conveying information to people is important. Has its place, absolutely. And has its place, and it even helps in the formation of habits. I think Abs- absolutely. Yeah. But we need to inculcate these habits in people, mm-hmm. um, and that's what. Um, so a rule of life is a is a helpful guide mm. for the formation of these holy habits through by which we follow Jesus and witness to Jesus Christ in the world by which we live out our baptism our baptismal mm. covenant. Yeah. So the rule the best of definition of a rule of life that I have come across is uh, from my friend uh, Marjorie Thompson. Um, who used to work here at the upper, okay. she worked at the upper room. Um, some of you may know the work, you, you, uh, my my guess is a lot of you know, are familiar with Marjorie's work and the work of her late great husband, John McGabgab, mm-hmm. who was the founder and editor of Weaving's Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but Marjorie has written a book that I highly recommend to people titled Soul Feast. Um, and I think it's in its third edition. And near the end of that book, she has a chapter, a whole chapter on rule of life and in which she, she, the purpose of that chapter is she encourages the, her readers to develop their own personal rule of life. And she defines a rule of life as a pattern of spiritual disciplines that provide structure and direction for growth in holiness. Mm. It fosters gifts of the spirit in personal life and human community, helping to form us into the persons God intends us to be. Mm. John Wesley understood this. Yeah. Um, and if you're familiar with monastic communities. Yeah, that's what comes to my mind, right? I've gone to a Trappist mo- uh, monastery a couple of times. Every monastic community has a rule of life. Yeah, St. Benedict's rule being one of the most. St. Benedict's, the rule of St. Benedict is probably the most well-known, most yeah. famous monastic rule. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, the Ignatius mm-hmm. rule, that, which mm-hmm. is for the Jesuits. Jesuits, right. Um, well, the Methodists have a rule of life. John Wesley developed a rule of life for the Methodists, peop, the people called Methodists, as he, yeah. um, which he developed in 1743. So rules of life are not just for monks? No. Yeah. No, because moving into you know, a monastery would not go well for me right now. The reality is we are all monks. Mm, that's a better way to think of it. Because we're baptized. There you go, yeah. Monks are simply lay people who are intentional about following Jesus in the world mm. and, uh, and being intentional about being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that their entire life is infused with the Holy Spirit and, 
and devoted to being faithful to Christ mm. and the gospel. To living, uh, the way I like to put it, is living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it, yeah. That's what, those this, values. that's what this is all about. That's what discipleship is all about, is training people to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. Yep. Bob Mulholland, who now, is my... Part of that would be living as a citizen of the United States of America or citizens of the sure, United Kingdom sure. or of Liberia or you know wherever you're from. But our primary citizen, as, as baptized Christians, our primary citizenship is in God's reign. That's right. That's what Bob Mulholland taught me in our Revelation class. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, that's what a, a rule of life is intended to help us. It's a civics course for hmm. citizens of the kingdom of God. That, that, that's, a, that's a helpful way to put it. Yeah. Um, and so, and it all begins with our baptism. Yeah. You know, I encourage you to take a close look at the baptismal covenant and the questions that we ask of individuals, because there's three participants in this covenant, right? It's initiated by God Mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ, who calls us into relationship with him. Okay. But he calls us not as individuals, well, he calls us as individuals. It is personal. Because it's deeply personal, but it's not private. Right. And he calls us into a community, a family a household. He invites us to live in his household. In the body of Christ. In what Paul calls the body of Christ. And so there are three, four questions that are asked where you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sins. I remembered it all. <laughs> and repent of your sins. So you acknowledge yeah. that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, That's right? right? And then we're asked, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to reject evil oppression and injustice wherever they present themselves? You say, I do. And then the third question is, do you confess, do you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior and promise to serve him mm-hmm. as Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Mm-hmm. We say, I do. So those are personal questions, well, personal yeah. commitments that each of us have made. Yep. And then the third is, um, do you Accept, I forget how, how it's phrased, accept the, the grace given to you to live as a representative of Christ, of Jesus Christ in the world. That's the fourth question. That's the fourth question. Yeah. And there's a little more to it, you know, in yeah, union yeah. with the church. And, and we say, I do. Yeah. But then that's so there's, there's God in Christ, there's us as individuals. That's the personal commitment that all of us make. Yeah. But then the congregation, we're, we're now being becoming part of this church, mm-hmm. this community that's called the church, and the congregation then makes commitments, yes. makes promises to us. Yep. Where the pastor says, do you as Christ's body of the church reaffirm both your rejection of sin and commitment to Christ? And we all say, we do. Yeah. 
Will you nurture, this is, and these are the, this is the preface to the promises the congregation makes. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life? Yep. To which the congregation says, with God's help, mm. we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround one another, or these persons, with a community of love and forgiveness that we may grow in our trust of God and be found faithful in our service to others. We will pray for one another that we may be true disciples who walk in the way, or we will pray for these persons, that we may be true disciples, or that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Yeah. When I do workshops on this, I've, you know, in fact, I just did last mm-hmm. Sunday, last Saturday, I did a workshop at First United Methodist Church of Orange in Orange, California. The purpose, the, the workshop was on the general rule of discipleship as a rule of life for disciple making in the congregation. Yep. The idea is that congregations should adopt the general rule of discipleship as their rule of life. Okay to help keep these promises that the congregation makes yeah. as a practical means. So we, we have the promises, mm-hmm. the, the missing piece that I've seen in my experience, my many years of experience now in the United Methodist Church and con- as a lay person, as a clergy who's not a pastor, right. being part of a congregation for sure? the last 19 years, and now going back to pastoral ministry the missing piece is how do we do this? Right. What's the guide? Give me a map. I think we, you know, as West, particularly as Wesleyans, we need to do more than just make these promises. Hmm. We need to be intentional about keeping them. Yes. And, and as you've, as I've learned this from you, one of the things I've caught out of this, and I think you put me onto this, is in, I think it's paragraph 220 in the Book of Discipline under the heading Accountability is it says churches will help, and I'm not going to get this exactly right either, um, will hold their members accountable to keeping their baptismal promises. Yes. It's in the Book of Discipline. It is. We're, it we're is supposed there. to do this. I wonder how many pastors know that's there. I'll be frank. I didn't know it was there. <laughs> but the but I, think you, I think you were the one that put me onto this, is, is then asking the question from that, if that's all true, how do we structure the life of a congregation to achieve that? Right? I'm not, as I think about playing that out a little bit, I mean, what does that look like in a finance committee to say, how, do our, how does our budget r- reflect how we're going about the process of helping people live into their baptismal vows? Mm-hmm. That's a very different conversation than what do we have money for? Yeah. You know, and, and taking that question, not just to budget, but to SPR, into all the committees, and, and then also into our small groups. So that it becomes a whole culture, and this is what I think you're advocating here, a whole culture of how are we being disciples? And, and said differently, how are we living into our baptismal vows? Right. Right, and if that can become the focus, small groups fit so well into what's the culture of the church as opposed to just something else we do. Yeah. All right, so continue on there, because I, I, I just want to make that comment of, of making sure we, we catch how all this fits together. Well, pl- and being f- 
intentionally faithful to our baptismal covenant as individuals and as a congregation Mm -hmm. keeps us focused on the mission of the church, Mm. which Mm. that should be our focus, Mm -hmm. centered on Jesus Christ. If we are indeed centered on Jesus Christ and his mission, Mm -hmm. then we're doing our part, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The baptismal covenant gives us a framework as to how, what, who a disciple is and how to go about doing that. And Mr. Wesley, our own tradition, gives us very practical guidance Mm -hmm. as to how we keep the promises that we make as a congregation Mm -hmm. to each of us, to every member. You know, and there, there's another section at the very end of the baptismal ritual, the liturgy, where the pastor says to the people, it's the, called the, the heading is commendation and welcome. Okay. The pastor says, I commend these persons to your love and care. Mm-hmm. Now that's, you know, we need to listen. True. It's the pastor. Well, there's some people I don't where, like, but go ahead. To your <laughs> like love and ones. care. So what yeah, that's, what. What's that's what he's saying? What those words are reminding the congregation that we are responsible. We're making a promise. That's right. A commitment. That's right. To each other, to do all that, do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. Mm. Mm. Now, Mr. Wesley gave us a very practical rule of life mm-hmm. that gives. That guide that's intended to guide us. It's that's the per, that's what a rule is in this sense. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a compass, mm-hmm. or it's like lines on piece of paper that you know guides your writing. So it's more legible and right. Yeah. Um, it's not meant to be a, like a, a law, mm-hmm. but rather a guide yeah. that make sure that we're moving in the right direction, that we're following Jesus and not going off on our own agendas, but that we're focused on Christ um, and, 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 and o- obeying his teachings, right. which he summarized, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mm-hmm. soul, mind. That's the first and the great command, greatest commandment. And a second is like it, he says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or another way to put that, the way I like to put it, is you shall love who God loves mm. as God loves them. Mm-hmm. And so our rule of life is designed to help us to do that. Yeah. Um, so if you have a rule of, a congregation adopts the general rule of discipleship, which is, I don't know if I've said it, we've said it Not yet, yet, have we? No. So, well, let's say it. Yeah which is to witness to Jesus Christ. And these are based on the general rules, which we all know is to do no harm by avoiding evil, you know, which, and we need the preface to each of the three general rules is to to give evidence of your desire for salvation first by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind. Yeah. Secondly, by doing good to all, by being merciful in all that you do, as you have opportunity to all people. And, and thirdly, by attending upon all the ordinances of God 
and then Wesley, you know, lists what those ordinances are, which are the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the Lord's Supper, private and family prayer, searching the scriptures, and fasting or abstinence. Our favorite one. Right. <laughs> so the general rule of discipleship is simply a contemporary summary yeah. of those general rules. And it is a single statement to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the genius of this general rule is it helps us maintain balance in our discipleship. Yes. Balance between the works of mercy and the works of piety, the works of mercy being how we love who God loves. Okay through acts of compassion, acts of justice, and balance with the works, what Wesley called the works of piety, mm-hmm. those, those practices through which we um, participate in our personal mm-hmm. and communal relationship with God through acts of worship and acts of devotion. Th- there's also balance between the personal and the social. Mm-hmm. So the acts of compassion and acts of devotion are personal works right. of mercy and works of piety. Acts of compassion is simple acts of, com- of kindness that you do for another, that I can do for another person. Like if, when I meet someone on the street who says, I'm hungry, can you help me? The act of compassion is to say, what do you want to eat? Mm. Let's, get you, let's get you fed. Or he's someone who's lost a loved one, just mm. being with them mm. and mourning with them. Someone who's been through surgery, going and visiting them and helping them, doing what you can to help them recover and feel better. So this is Wesley's <coughs> visiting the sick, um, visiting the imprisoned, visiting the jails. Yes, those are acts of compassion. Yeah. Um, acts of devotion are the personal things that we do to participate in our personal relationship with God. You know, daily prayer and Bible reading are mm-hmm. prime examples of that. Yep. Um, fasting, Wesley names and the general rules. Um, family and private, you know, praying with your children and your spouse mm-hmm. and your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the personal. And then it's balanced with, again, the social, acts of worship, acts of justice. So acts of worship are what we do together with the gathered, the assembly of the congregation on Sunday morning in prayer, praise, um, scriptures, proclamation, sacrament. Those are, that's, we offer, when we we offer ourselves in service to God, and we always need to remember God should be the audience of our worship. Amen. That we are there as a gathered body to worship and to offer ourselves as a body in service and praise to God. Yep, it is for God, not for us. Right. Yep. So then the, the last one here that I'm going to let you touch on um, is the one that I know most people tend to stumble over. Yes. Justice. So say, say what that looks like. <clears throat> well, acts of justice in terms, I think in terms of the general rules, is doing no harm. Mm, okay. Um, by avoiding evil. Uh, acts of justice are also asking the questions as to why people in the richest nation in the history of the world are hungry. Mm. 
and homeless, hmm. don't have access to health care. And some even clean water at the moment. Or clean water. You yeah. know, those are acts of justice. And so justice is what then what we as, a, as, a, as the Christian community, we have an obligation to work for the common good. And it's part of loving our neighbor, right? I mean, it, it is part of, it's how we love our neighbor. Is not by, just individually, but systemically. Right. Yeah. It's about being an, an agent, an active participant for the common good. Hmm. How are, what difference can my congregation make to the neighborhood in which it exists? You know, that's a question. You know, I know the people at Trinity, UMC, and Grand Rapids have done a really good job of answering okay. that question. You know, just as an example, what I know of the history of that church is about 30, 40 years ago, the na- it's, a, it's a neighborhood church. That neighborhood was in severe decline with increasing crime and drug mm. use and drug dealing in the neighborhood. And there were other churches in the neighborhood, and when the neighborhood went, in decline and was having those social problems, those congregations left. Mm. They moved out to safer parts of town, mm. whereas the people of Trinity UMC made a conscious decision, we're staying. Mm. And they went to the local, they reached out to the local elementary school and said, what can we do to help? Mm. And so Trinity Church stayed mm. and played a significant role and helping to turn that neighborhood around. Wow. And so I'm very proud to be, yeah. the pa- I'm going to be the pastor of this place. Yeah. Um, so that's an example of a congregation that takes justice seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that helps. It does, because I think that's the one people trip over, right? I think most people sort of get devotion right. and worship. Um, and in compassion, but that's the one people stumble over. And I think what's so helpful is this sort of becomes a matrix in which we can measure or show evidence, as, as you said earlier, show evidence, yeah. both individually and corporately, right? Well, some congregations are stronger in justice, but maybe they need to work on devotion. And some congregations might be really good at worship right. and so forth. And so as a, at a macro level, how are we helping form disciples? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then it come, becomes a micro level as well. How am I doing in each of these levels, these these areas? And that's why I think these are such helpful handles of showing evidence for discipleship because it can be um, sort of generic. Yes, I'm growing as a disciple, and I think this the genius of this is it gives us some handles where I can say to others who might come to me and say, "Well, I'm not sure I'm growing." Well, well how are you doing these things? And if you're doing these things, then it gives you some reflection to say, oh, I guess I am growing, right? Because sometimes it's not evidence to us, yeah, right? And so these become avenues for us to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm growing in these areas, and, and by doing them, I'm growing. Yeah. It works both ways. So I, I think these are extremely helpful. Um, so we've got a few minutes left. What else do you want to say? <laughs> what, what other wisdom you want to impart? I mean, there's there's so much more I know we well, can go into because you do this for hours and workshops. Simply, yeah, because you know we don't have. A, so my point here is that I I'd encourage, congreg, you know, particularly United Methodist congregations, sure, to adopt the general rule of discipleship as the rule of life for your congregation. So what does it look like if they've adopted? So it? what that means then is, it, then 
everything that we do as a congregation mm-hmm. is guided by gotcha. this, our rule of life. Because what that then does is it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a public declaration that Jesus Christ is at the center of this congregation. Because mm. what I've seen in a lot of churches, Christ is not the center. Mm. The church mm. is. Mm. The not church. And, 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 and too often I think the church sends the message to the public and, the, and even its members. Yeah. So that we're here for your own personal benefit and blessing. Yeah. What can we do to help you? Now, I'm not, you know, we certainly need to care for one another, yeah. you know, visit the sick and the elderly, the shut-ins, and make sure everybody is cared for Nurture, and receives passion. that. Yep. But we also need to send the message that when you're baptized, there's nothing in that baptismal covenant that says we're here to serve you. Mm. But rather, you are a part, we are in this together to right. be servants of the world that Christ is out there working to redeem. Yeah. And that Christ is calling us to get out there and work with him. Yeah. That's what this rule of life, and it helps keep us centered on Christ and not on ourselves. Mm. And so you can come, and I've tried to come up, and I'm going to keep writing. My, my goal here is to... Uh, I've been doing a lot of writing on this yeah. and to sort of, I'll probably just self-publish a little booklet on mm. and make it available to people. And I'm open to receiving from our audience practical suggestions. Okay, yeah. what are some suggestions for how to, you know, the acts of, you know, break the general rule into its, there's uh, six different parts what does it look, you know, how do you practically help people to be witnesses, to live as witnesses mm. to Jesus Christ in the world? And a witness is simply someone who gives evidence mm. of a people, a person, place, or thing that they have personal experience of. Mm. How are we helping our people to be witnesses to Jesus Christ in the world? What are the right. practical things that we can teach, equip them to do that? What are the, you know, the practical acts of compassion and justice that we're encouraging our people to participate in? The practical practices of devotion and worship, you know, daily Bible reading and print, you know, using, you know, I'm give a plug here, Absolutely. a disciple's journal yeah. is a really great resource that every member of a United Methodist congregation should have in their there home. There you go. To, it has that quadrant that right. in there where you can chart here's how I've been doing these things and, and make you intentional about doing this. <laughs> and then the last piece of the general rule, which is maybe even the most important under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Mm. We can't do any of this without the guidance, the grace that the Holy Spirit supplies, mm-hmm. that sanctifying and justifying grace that Christ gives to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers and drive is the engine behind all that we do. Yeah. We need to know that it doesn't, it's not me, it's Christ in me. Right. And that grace that, we re- that I and you and we all receive through the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life, to live, as some people say, wet. Mm. Yeah. Um, as baptized Christians. Yeah. I think that's a perfect note to, to wrap up on. Yeah, we like need to stop. I mean, we could go on and on about this and... 
Uh, I'm, I'm jealous for the people of Trinity United Methodist Church and what they're getting. <laughs> I'm very excited for them and also sad, right? It's sad that this is our last time together and, and just publicly st- I, I want to reiterate my thanks for you and all that I've learned from you um, and know that I'm, uh, I'm trying to fill big shoes that I won't ever quite get into, um, but I, I, I've learned so much from, from you. And um, so thanks. I'm going to kind of, this is where Blake <laughs> should hit the applause Cue the uh, applause. Well, I just want to, I really appreciate you, Scott, and all that you bring to this work, and I'm thankful that you're here and that this work will continue with your very able leadership because I've learned a lot from you, too. Well, I appreciate that. Um, Scott is a great, if you don't know this, everybody, Scott is an excellent teacher. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard him preach, but I'm sure he's good (laughs) at that, too. But You did hear me preach once. Did I? In the chapel? It was obviously very impactful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure you were there. We are brothers in Christ, (laughs) and we will remain friends. Absolutely. And um, this will not be the last time we speak to one another. Absolutely not. Yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch over baseball and other things. So go Braves. Go Braves. That's right. Go Twins. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's do our credits then. Uh, We give credits to to Matt Carlisle, our web producer. Steve Horswell Johnson, our executive producer, and Blake, Blake. Uh, our technical director, uh, who we appreciate so much. Um, and so we, this podcast will continue to to live on, and and we continue to want it to be interactive. So um, you can still find Steve on Twitter. He's at at s manskar. That's at s m a n s k a r. And I'm at Rev Scott's tweets and at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. And you can find more information on our, on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And we look forward to being in ministry with you. Until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.